to our fourth episode in our series on research-informed teaching. This episode is hosted by me, uh, Professor Catherine Hobbs, Associate Dean for Research and Enterprise in the Faculty of Environment and Technology at UWE. My guests today are Dr. Maria Casado-Diaz from UWE and Professor Rachel Sara from Birmingham City University. In this episode, we have really just a conversation about our practice. We're three academics from very different disciplines. Um, I'm a mathematician, Maria is uh, in tourism studies, and Rachel's an architect. And we talk about how we interpret research-informed teaching in our areas and discover that there's quite a lot of commonality, in fact, between the very different disciplines in terms of how we try and inspire our students to engage in research and understand how research influences their disciplines. We hear about some specific approaches that we've taken in our teaching to bring concepts from research as well as the research process to the fore in our educational practice. Thanks Catherine. It was really interesting to listen to the commonality with also the diverse perspectives in this conversation and the conversation itself took a very interesting journey. We started with the quite traditional take on research-informed teaching. I often uh, find that if I talk to a colleague who hasn't been exposed to the literature of research-informed teaching, and we say, oh, um, how is um, your teaching informed by research? They'll say, I'm doing this piece of research, and this, this is how it's directly linked into the curriculum. Um, so we start with uh, how primary research and how your research widely in the field informs teaching practice and teaching content. However, we uh, then go into um, how important research skills are for graduate employability and also for professional practice in whichever profession our students end up being. And of course, there's a huge amount of literature, particularly in the um, context of graduate research in the USA, around the range of skills that are specifically being developed by graduates engaging in, in research. There, there's a really strong evidence of, of that um, if, if you've come across the work of Lopato. It, we then had a different take on research-informed teaching, and that was Rachel's discussion of co-construction. And that is so fully grounded in the work of Angela Brew, um, which has informed a lot of my thinking around research-informed teaching, because Angela talks about um, how we can construct open knowledge building communities where everybody has something to contribute to, towards the endeavor of research. And that um, is the case for staff and student alike. Well, you talked about how engaging um, teaching topics that you're researching allows for students to bring fresh perspectives and fresh questions onto, onto that, uh, that field. And finally, in the conversation highlighted uh, how both research and teaching are learning processes, in effect. And in fact, that is the core link between research and teaching. Um, and again, that brings me back to the work of Bruin Baud, who talk about how research and teaching are processes of exploration of existing knowledge, um, and that are both an act of meaning making, of making sense, and therefore they're both developmental processes. 
And it was really interesting how, uh, particularly through Rachel's work, that clearly got identified and explored in your conversation. So a lot of themes to listen for here around how you can link research and teaching in a variety of ways, in a variety of contexts. Welcome to our podcast. Myself, I'm a mathematician. Um, my current role um, is very much about research strategy for the faculty. And so I'm, my day-to-day -day is, is thinking about research, but I'm also a very passionate teacher. I do teach. Um, I'm a National Teaching Fellow, and I'm just really passionate about helping students understand uh, well, mathematics in my case, but but whatever the discipline is, I, I was I love to see that light bulb moment in a student's eyes when I've explained something and they've understood it. So I, I'm passionate about teaching and I would like this podcast to, to explore with people how we can think about how research and teaching fit together, because those are my two passions. So I'm very excited to welcome today our podcast guests and we have uh, Rachel Sara. Rachel is Oscar Nademeyer, I hope I've said that right, Professor of Architecture at Birmingham City University. Um, welcome, Rachel. And Maria Casado diaz uh, Maria is a Senior Lecturer in Tourism Studies, and she's also Programme Leader for Student Experience for our BA Geography at UE Bristol. Um, welcome, Maria. So, Maria, would you like to set off? Tell me about what you do in your day job and uh, what, what inspires you. Okay, so on my day today, I am mostly a teacher. So I am module leader for a few modules in level one and level two, uh, mostly. And I'm teaching tourism related mobilities and stuff. So it's mostly to do with uh, travel and mobilities, but also with migration processes. And that's what most of my research has been about, tourism related mobilities. And more recently, I'm also become co-program leader for BA Geography, and I'm mostly looking after the student experience and stuff as well. So in that capacity, this year I was um, uh, dealing more closely, as well as being an APT tutor, I was also kind of um, leading that aspect of the program, and it was all about how to you know improve that academic development and professional development of the students, and kind of keeping a, a, an overview on the program and how we do that. And research comes very strongly about uh, how to develop some of these skills that they need to have before they leave to pursue their future career choices. Great. Thank you, Maria. Rachel? Thanks. Um, so my, again, main role is, is leading research in the School of Architecture and Design um, here in Birmingham. Um, and in doing that, I do things like supporting research bids, mentor colleagues, um, run writing retreats uh, and things like that. Um, and I also lead the Urban Cultures Research Cluster, um, which is, I suppose, a particular research cluster that, that has, I suppose, more at the humanities end of architectural research, looking at the way that different cultures inform um, our experiences of being in the city. I'm also a National Teaching Fellow, and I know that's um, partly why Catherine uh, reached out to me. And so my teaching is inevitably in architecture. Um, I lead a design studio unit um, and the dissertation, or it's, it's called an extended practice or special study uh, in my institution um, in the Master of Architecture, along with PhD supervision. And I suppose my 
teaching and that National Teaching Fellowship really came about because I was really um, interested in taking students out into the into I shouldn't say the real world but <laughs> the world outside the university and making connections with community groups and so a lot of my work is about co-production of knowledge co-design uh, and aspects like that great thank you very much so we've we the three of us have got quite different backgrounds and different interests um, but I think the common commonality is about student experience and getting students to really um, understand how their subject is situated. Um, you, know, you, you might think that pure mathematics is quite an abstract thing where it would be hard to do that, but actually it's really important that students understand what's the context of, of the work that we do um, and why it's useful <laughs> and what they could do with it. My first real sort of meaty question for you guys is about how you personally view the interplay between research, practice and teaching in your area. How do you see that from the student's perspective? How do they experience research? And when people talk about research informed teaching, what does that mean to you in your in your practice area? When I think of mine, my, how my research informs my teaching, for example, and the kind of things we do in the classroom, I think it's, it's a very direct link because it's, it's about the knowledge that I might have about particular areas of my subject. And, and it's about that kind of in-depth knowledge of those particular issues, but also it's, it's more about the breadth of your knowledge with regards to how up-to-date you are with developments in your own disciplines. It's not just necessarily about your own, you know, my own project of migration or, or what I'm doing in terms of participating in an, in an international research project, for example. It's, about, it's more about how you bring all that kind of knowledge that you have to have because that's how you keep up to date with things into the classroom and get them interested. And I think sometimes it's easier to do that when you're talking about your own research. So I try to embed most of that stuff into particular sessions, but not necessarily you know, a whole module developed around your research interest because I think that's too specialized. And, and I'm teaching mostly, maybe as well I said that, at the undergraduate level. So I think it's, it's very different to if I was teaching in, in a master's. So I think it, it's that kind of idea of, of you kind of being a sort of expert on your area and passing that kind of knowledge, but getting them engaged and, and excited, I guess, because you are more excited when you talk about your own case studies and bringing that kind of, you know, real world examples into the classroom. I think it does really, really that enhance that, that learning experience and start getting them to start thinking about different type of data, different sort of sources of information, and how do we generate those and how do we validate those? And I just want them to develop more critical thinking skills. So especially in the current context, when we are bombarded with information, and it seems to me that that's perhaps one of the most important skills we need to get the students to, to develop, to be independent learners, but also very critical thinkers about everything, all, well, you mentioned Catherine about the importance of context that that explains most things so I think that's how I that's how I see my my research feeding into teaching and also not just in the classroom in terms of learning and teaching experiences but uh, as a team in BA geography we are very very determined to get all the assessment briefs looking at this kind of thing you know things that they will have to do in their careers once they leave university so I think we also try to um, link very closely the research and the teaching with employability, which is something that we really want to develop. Yes, people counter that, I suppose, by saying, well, 
I don't intend to be a researcher. Why do I need to know this, this research stuff that you keep telling me about? That's what I tell them. You might not be the one producing that piece of research, but you might be the one using that piece of research to inform your policy, for example, about something. So you need to make sure that what you're reading is evidence-based and it makes sense. So I think that's the kind of thing we're trying to promote. So we get them to look at very different sources of information from policy papers to position papers to uh, business reports to academic literature. I mean, because that's what they're going to be doing, whatever role they're doing. Mm, great. Rachel? Yeah. Well, I, I really agree that there's something about the criticality um, that Maria was talking about that's, that's so important. All our students, once they're, well, in all their lives, actually, need to engage with knowledge and information. And they need to understand whether they trust that source of, of knowledge and information and how they're going to work with it subsequently. So I think there's something about engaging in research that that helps students develop that criticality. I mean, I think there's there's also an idea that actually research informed teaching for me and what I do is a bit of a misnomer because I'm much more um, interested in the activities building on and in really informing each other. So I suppose my teaching um, research and and to some extent practice is really about it's often about co-design and co-construction of knowledge. And so, you know, thinking about research as a, a way of generating new knowledge effectively shared, you know, the research excellence framework definition, then it's not so different in a way to um, learning or, or facilitating learning, which is what we're doing in our in our higher education teaching. So we're helping students to develop their knowledge um, and skill base. And so I sort of think of it more as an idea of that we are collectively working to generate knowledge and effectively share it with others. Um, and when I think projects, the most interesting projects that connect research and teaching for me, um, we work in that way, we work collectively to generate new knowledge and somehow communicate it and share it with others. And I yeah. think there's so, yeah, a little bit of, I tend to work in an activist way or I'm sort of increasingly trying to do that. So very concerned about climate crisis and so trying to affect positive change so again using our teaching projects and our research projects to kind of continually co-construct each other and, you know try and do something positively proactive in the world yeah that, that's really great Marid you wanted to come in yes I think uh, following from what Rachel was saying is it's also um, sometimes it's difficult to stop you leading because you are aware of so many things and, it, and once you start talking about something and listen to something else and you are a bit obsessed about making sure they get every single possible point of view on something that at the same time, it kind of sometimes it's, it's, it's difficult to make sure that there's, there are elements of that learning that are entirely student-led because, you know, part of being a critical thinker and independent learner is doing it themselves. So I think it's just... I also see it, I think, somehow as a sort of progression across the program. So it's a very different way of approaching things in, in level one to level three. And that's how we build those sort of research skills and that kind of uh, independent learning throughout the program. But it, it is difficult sometimes to make sure you don't influence them too much or to the extent of the way you see things to build on that criticality. So you expose them to all these different points of view and get them informed about the current debates, you know, cutting edge of the discipline, but at the same time, letting them get on with things and come up with their own ideas. So I think it's sometimes it's difficult to maintain that sort of balance between wanting them to know everything, but at the same time, well, you need to do this yourself. And I think that's 
as we move across the program, and I think in the context of the last two years because of COVID and you know the disruption in the learning, I think next year is going to be quite a lot about kind of letting them go a bit and make sure that they are developing those independent skills because we have been looking after them a bit too much because of the circumstances. So I think that's something else that we need to bear in mind. Research informed teaching as a as a sort of headline. I, actually, I really agree that it's there's a, a bit of a danger in that as a headline because people, academics can read that entirely as I'm doing my research and I'm going to inform my teaching. Yeah. Actually, it should be much more of an interplay of the of the two. And I'm going to come yeah. on to a question about that um, in a second, really. But something I wanted to, to add into the, the debate is that something I don't know if this happens in your disciplines, but in mathematics, a lot of students come through from their A-level mathematics and they study mathematics as a degree and they think that all mathematics is already known. They don't appreciate that there are research questions, there are open research questions. Um, they, they often have no idea what a research mathematician might be doing. You know, we don't sit and calculate our two billion timetable. You know, it, there are lots of other things that we're working <laughs> with. And I think students don't always have that concept of themselves situated in the bigger subject area. So I, I'm really keen when I teach um, and to talk about research to, to make it really clear that this is live, that there are we're doing research now in things that people don't know about. Um, maybe that's less of a problem in, in some other areas. I think mathematics, because it's seen as this huge body of, of what well, a pyramid of knowledge that you gradually work yourself up and you have to know the bottom stuff before you can get to the next layer and so on. Even quite advanced students, you know, master's students I've, I've met have not understood that this is only a tiny part of what could be known. I don't know if that's an issue in your areas or, or that's a, a peculiarly um, sort of scientific issue. I, I think I think our problem is entirely the opposite is because the constantly changing uh, frameworks and, and approaches to things is, is the opposite that we have to constantly be introducing new things and there's always plenty to be researched even if in, in terms of you know the, the, the impact of particular contexts or you know like from the climate crisis to the economic crisis to, in my case, studying migration, the impacts of Brexit or the impacts of COVID, the pandemic, and on these sort of, you know, uh, mobility processes. So I think it's the opposite. That is a constant uh, changing environment and having to understand the context of these issues to really be able to advance this, this subject discipline. So I think from the student point of view, like you never stop. There's always other things to look at. So it's very difficult to... Uh, put limits to what you are actually teaching then as well. So I think that's that's probably our challenge is quite quite the opposite. Yeah, I wonder if in 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 architecture perhaps it's almost there are elements of both because I think you know school sets people up to think that teachers have all the knowledge, um, and you know everybody who had children has a recollection of a time when a child would have misunderstood something their teacher said and come back and they're absolutely insistent that they know better than you do now um you know the grass is blue or whatever it is um so i think that there is um a really interesting challenge which links actually to your point maria about allowing students you know not necessarily telling them everything you know allowing them to find stuff out 
which is that you do need to somehow acknowledge that you have a certain expertise in a certain knowledge area, um, but that that's not complete. And that's really challenging their ideas about what a teacher is, which they tend to sort of think of this omnipotent <laughs> idea, idea of a person who knows everything. And, and we know that that's certainly not the case. And I, I certainly enjoy projects we go where we go into a kind of explorative piece of research in which maybe I don't know very much at all. You know, I, I really enjoy that. But that's an advantage about working at maybe master's level. It'd be really interesting to reflect mm -hmm. on how that works at undergraduate, even first year. And that has been more and more the case uh, in our final year project as well. So the final year project that they do before completing the three-year program, um, because we have so many, well, we have so many students relatively, but, you know, it, it, too many for each of us to just do our own specialism kind of thing. So you always end up supervising third-year students with completely different topics to your area of expertise, which is really, as, as Rachel was saying, really interesting because it, it makes you immerse yourself in different literatures, in different topics. And, and I think that's really, really uh, beneficial for your own research as well and your own teaching, the way you teach different things. And, and what Rachel was saying about this kind of letting them, you know, learn from themselves, for themselves, but it's also this equip, equipping them with, is this more transferable skills? So it doesn't really matter. Going back to your point about they think you know everything about everything, which is, <laughs> is impossible, even about your own thing, you just know a little bit. But it's about the idea, well, I might not know about this, but I know exactly how to re, you know, design a project or the kind of techniques or the tools you might be able to use that might be particularly valuable for the kind of project idea that you had in mind. So I think that's, I think it also shows them that they are, they're also learning other things that are not particularly related to only to human geography or perhaps architecture or mathematics, but it's these problem solving skills and these uh, being able to critically assess different sources of information that I think it, it, they realize, I think, particularly in the third year, that they have learned much more than they thought they have learned. So I think that's also quite, uh, as you said, it also influences the way you teach, the way you research, you come up with ideas that you didn't think you have. So I think that's very, very interesting as well. Great. Yeah. One of the questions I, I had for a little later on, but maybe it's sort of appropriate now, is to ask you what you think are the benefits to you as an academic of of being immersed in both teaching, teaching and learning and research. How do you see that as beneficial to your to to both parts, well, all parts of your practice, I guess? I mean, the first reflection is that, of course, when it's um, when it works well, it can be very time efficient. <laughs> We're all desperately limited in in our time, so if you can <laughs> make your, your teaching and your research collectively inform each other, and then it it can be a very efficient and effective way of working. Um, but I also think that the different perspectives that students bring even when they're perhaps um, researching a topic that they don't know that much about, that lateral thinking can really provide kind of challenges to your own knowledge, um, real potential for a critical perspective to emerge. So it can really be kind of quite powerful challenges um, to your accepted assumptions, but perhaps the wider research community's accepted assumptions, particularly if we're working with students of a more diverse cohort than perhaps the research cohort that we're Kind of working within so I think it can be a great critical challenge and, yeah. and for me it's like I'm 
sort of passionate about the idea of a university as a place that it in itself is all about developing knowledge and not just providing or passing on knowledge, which is, you know, what we were talking about before, um, are the idea that we as students, the professors or lecturers, we know all the stuff. <laughs> we just need to deliver it to you guys and, you know, to the students and then they all know it. Um, it's much more thinking about university as a community of learning learners and scholars, um, which kind of is in the root of the word university. So that we might then be working together as a community that collectively are generating knowledge. That to me is is a really exciting potential. Yeah, it's interesting that, that something you said there was exactly what I thought about beforehand. What are the benefits about this? sometimes the left field question from a student who hasn't quite understood something really makes you think, oh my goodness, I never thought of it that way. And, you know, that certainly occurs in, in my subject area. Um, I found it, you know, it, it's definitely one of the benefits of, of teaching for me is that I have to be absolutely on top of my subject in order to teach. So it's, it's a brilliant way, if I need to learn <coughs> something that's gonna help me in a research area, um, and really learn it. So it's at my fingertips. I don't have to go look things up constantly. Teaching, you know, there's no substitute for it because you teach it, of course, in fact, volunteering to teach something that you don't know that much about is a brilliant way of getting on top of it. And the students will challenge you and ask you questions and you have to really be able to understand a, in a deep way your subject in order to answer. The questions themselves may not be that deep, actually, but the challenge to you makes you sometimes have a real sort of paradigm shift in your understanding. And I think that's that's definitely for me one of the great benefits of, of being involved in teaching is that it sparks things that you have. And, and as you say, Rachel, that diversity angle, that sort of different ways of thinking um, when you've got into a track of thinking in a particular way, this is the only way to solve this problem. Um, that's that's a brilliant thing that. that sparks you into new directions so yeah it's about aligning your your activities that research and teaching rather than seeing teaching as this sort of thing that's taking away from your research or possibly research is something that's taking away from your teaching aligning them is a is a brilliant time saver and um very productive in my experience i think something that occurred to me while we were talking is that there's kind of two dimensions to our research as well, is the kind of research you're doing your own, your particular project you're working on. But most of the time we're working within other bigger teams, interdisciplinary teams, multinational teams. So I think you really, the same way as in the classroom, you're, you know, you get these questions at the same time where you're, you know, involved in a project, international project, you get exposed to very different ways of doing things as well. And I think that's something else that kind of broadens your horizon in the sense of, well, actually, I thought this was the most efficient way of doing this, but perhaps there are these other ways and that you bring that to the classroom again. So it's not just about your own little piece of research, you know, I'm interested in these, I don't know, second homes in Spain, and this is all I've done on this, but actually I've been involved in these other networks and this is what the people in Lithuania or people in Slovenia are doing about these things. And these are the kind of different issues that they are finding in their own context, the national context or the regional context or the local context. So I think it, it, it really, uh, enriches the whole experience. So it's not just what you're bringing us as, as a, you know, an individual researcher, but your involvement in, in bigger networks of researchers with very different perspectives. I think that's uh, kind of also the benefit of, of you know, linking this to and how you transmit that into, into the classroom. I think that they find that very interesting when you come up with very different case studies across the world and you actually 
you know, that this was the main, the most important issue when we're talking about second homes in Spain, but actually it's completely different when you're looking at second homes in South Africa, for example. I think that's because you have to be up to date with all the developments that also enables you to be able to bring up the different perspectives that hopefully will help them become more critical thinkers and be more, like, I don't know, global citizens. I, I don't know. I think it's really important that we bring all these different case studies into the, the knowledge. Um, I was going to come on to something sort of fairly practical, really, which is, I think, for people who perhaps haven't really had thoughts about how their research and teaching align together and what, what they go, what, what are the practical things that you do in your teaching um, and research, but in your practice that link the things together? Can you give some sort of practical tips of the trade as people who, are, who I know are good at this kind of stuff? I guess the first thing that I do is that <clears throat> very much what I was talking about, if we work collectively as a group exploring, trying to find something out, you know, research, trying to find stuff out, uh, and we work as a group to try and find stuff out. Um, often, I think you can set up projects that are topic based, um, that you have um, a certain amount of expertise in, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps not, perhaps you start from a low base, uh, and that you can go on a journey together. Um, and what I would say is that that then can either you know, it can be part of that process of engagement that can be the basis of the research. The topic can inform the research that you're doing. So it can almost the equivalent of a, you know, collective literature review or, you know, so you are really getting what the base kind of knowledge is. Uh, it can, with the students that we work with, um, design students, they're often really great at doing, um, communicating things in different ways. So they, we might, ask people to interpret um, papers, academic papers, in a visual way. And so it can be that those visual elements are really um, in, informed research, literally can come into publications. Um, and then the other thing that I suppose, you know, the most obvious thing that I, I personally do is that I tend to do work which takes student groups out to work with community groups. And then we do co-design projects. And so there's something about the co-design project that I'm usually researching um, and that sometimes I do it in a formal and slightly distanced way, um, you know, where you might do focus groups with, with either group afterwards. And sometimes I do it as a, and reflect on it as a participant and, and, and really that becomes a, a way of theorising the way in which we generate design knowledge. So it's about getting to know something about the practice. So that's almost the key example when practice research and teaching are absolutely um, elided in one kind of project. Um, I don't know, off the top of my head, those are those are things that I do. Maria, you were mentioning just now about assessment and about yeah. using assessment to, to sort of stimulate. Yeah. I was thinking perhaps the most straightforward way that we do this is just using uh, settings like seminars to discuss case studies. And it might be, as I said, things that you have done yourself and you just present the case study and you ask them to bring similar examples or to bring different sources of information or look for this topic on the news and see how it has been uh, portrayed and what, in which context and how is this different in different national settings, that kind of thing. That's a very straightforward way of doing it. And it doesn't need to be necessarily your own research. You have, it might be you know, a recent 
published paper that kind of bring to the debate a different point of view that you know hasn't been discussed earlier. Um, I think we we really try to do the assessments as real world as possible. So I mean, uh, you know, the members in the team, for example, um, have produced assessment briefs that are sort of uh, business reports. So students are assigned or they choose a country they're interested in and they have to evaluate. I don't know whatever it might be. It might be the you know ethical guidelines within the travel industry or sustainable development in a particular setting, that kind of thing. So it's always trying to make those assessments as as applied as, as possible and always trying to link it with this other dimension that is pretty important in, in higher education, which is employability. So by the time they finish, they will have been uh, exposed or being familiar with different sort of assessment reports, uh, policy briefs, position papers. That's the kind of thing we do within the BA geography uh, team. Um, we've been making a lot of changes over the past few years to try and, um, and embrace this sort of move to more, okay, this is what I do in my research, and perhaps some of this could be applied to the, assign to the assignment. So you set up the assignment based on things you might have read as part of your research, you know, as I said, like uh, consultancy reports, for example. Uh, a lot of um, present, presenting, presentation skills, interpersonal skills. So you, again, as Rachel was saying, they're co-creating. Um, uh, most of the time that kind of happens within the peer group as opposed to perhaps in Rachel's case, you know, the, the lecturer, the researcher and the students, but we try to uh, encourage them to develop these things so they can learn from, from each other and from their research uh, experience. And also, in human geography, we have this uh, second year module, which is uh, researching human geography. And that's where we really bring those, you know, different type of research skills, different tools, different techniques, and they learn about all these different things using particular case studies and also doing it themselves. And we normally use Bristol as well as a sort of, you know, like a leading lab and we take them to the city center and what, what can you see around here? What do you think the issues are? And some of the modules might inform that kind of knowledge that they might have, but at the same time, then they have to do the project. So you assign them specific tasks that have to do with research, evaluating evidence or, you know, gathering information. And so we, we try to, you know, make very close links between the way they, they are learning, the way we teach and the way they are being assessed. So it's all very applied and very informed by our own practice and our knowledge of different things. And, it seems to work really well. <laughs> Great. In, in mathematics, I think um, a, a lot of academics find it harder to to find sort of practical ways because, you know, as I described earlier, it's it's a sort of pyramidal subject where you get the basics and you move and the research frontier may be quite far for a, mm -hmm. for an undergraduate mathematics student to reach to. But what I try and do with my teaching, I teach a second year. Um, is is to really encourage sort of an inquiry-based learning and an active yeah. learning. So going back to this point of um, asking, you know, being critical, asking questions, not taking things because I've said them or it's written in the textbook, but asking the question, what, why is it written that way? Why, why has this, uh, you know, what's the purpose of this bit of mathematics? Because um, you know, you may never have studied mathematics at any level, but um, just a typical mathematics textbook will start with um, 
they will define some abstract concept and then it'll tell you some results about that abstract thing, um, a bunch of them, and then it will make another definition and there might be an example and then it will go on, you know, it's it's can appear very abstract and almost mesmerizing, I think, for, for the student reading it, just starting to think, oh, this, this is just this huge abstract concept I don't construct, I don't know what it's for, and really getting them to say, okay, well, what is it for? What is what is this thing telling me that I didn't know before? Where's a where's an example? So really making it inquiry based. And in order to do that, um, I've changed the way I assess quite significantly. Um, and so rather than uh, you know a typical maths exam will be a, a closed book exam where they go and they almost have to memorize a whole load of stuff and write it down for me. Um, you know. Obviously, you're hoping they understand it too, but there's a lot of memorization. It's for me, that's not learning. So I actually present them. It's more open books. So I present them with um, some some pieces of abstract mathematics, and then ask them questions about it. What what's the point of this line? Why does it say this? What what definitions and assumptions are built in here that aren't said? Um, and try and get them to be more critical, because I think. There's definitely an issue in my subject area where people, um, there's a sort of the, the filling the jug model of, of education, that the, the student is, is the vessel waiting to be filled with the fount of knowledge. And then at the end, we might expect them to be creative and, and do it themselves, particularly if you want them to go on to doing research mathematics. A lot of our degrees are not, not a good basis for becoming a researcher. And of course, many of our students mm -hmm. won't become researchers in that traditional sense. But as Maria is saying, we do want them to go out into jobs in outside academia where they'll be able to assess information critically. I was, I was thinking when you were saying that, Catherine, as well, about, you know, asking them those more you know, questions that actually would deliver a sort of deep understanding of the concepts or whatever. But I think also uh, what I did a few years, few years ago now was, it just seemed to me that the whole exercise of the assessment was a bit lost in the way in which we did things. And, and, and you are asking them to, you know, to demonstrate those critical, you know, that critical thinking and to, you know, bring these ideas together in whatever they were doing, a report or an exam or whatever it was. And then kind of they did that exercise and then they would get a mark and some feedback but we know half the time they don't really look into the feedback and because some, it might happen a while after the exam or the or the test or it might happen just before the summer and they just already disconnected until the next year so what i did was just making sure that they in a sense forcing them a bit to actually read their reports again with the feedback and, and really reflect on this is what you answer and this is what you're trying to do and this is the feedback that we gave you to develop you in that way so you know that's what you thought this was a feedback and you need to reflect back on what you wrote and the feedback you got in order to improve those academic skills but also you sort of that criticality that Rachel was mentioning earlier you know unless you read it again and you read the feedback that people like ourselves that were trained to enable them to become, you know, more critical thinkers. Unless they do that follow-up exercise, it's a bit of a wasted time. It's wasted time for, for us because we put so much effort into making sure that we are helping them develop those academic skills by giving them that feedback and how to improve the next phase. That if they don't reflect on that, it's, it's sort of a, it's a waste really. And, and 
they cannot really progress that much because the next time around they'll do exactly the same mistakes. You know, what is the evidence for this, this argument that you're putting here? What is the evidence for this? You just can't say this thing. This is just an opinion, you know, that kind of thing. So it just always feels a bit like there's something that to be more, and that's also research. They're researching their own development and their economic skills. But yeah, it just occurred to me that that's also important for them. It's, it's really interesting to me as well to think about the disciplinary differences. You know, I, I was speaking about um, architecture and um, the, the studio learning that I'm involved in, which goes without saying is project-based and is, you know, it's not about delivery um, of information, although sometimes there is, you know, there is an element of being able to deliver um, information. But I think what um, the project's design um courses are quite good at doing it's quite interesting reflecting on um maths is that they're quite good at helping people to think creatively and challenge and come up with alternative solutions and it's fascinating that you're saying Catherine at the very highest level that's what students are expected to do with with maths but they haven't been trained in those processes um, whereas the architect's education is almost entirely being trained in those processes and no doubt miss out on an awful lot of other um, mm -hmm. uh, staff that they could benefit from. So it's really fascinating the idea that that element of creativity comes at the highest point but isn't part of a, an education. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I think we may be going into to many new um, topics here but I, I'd like to kind of get us to, to the end of this um, session today with just a little bit of um, sort of takeaway messages. So I wonder if you could sum up very briefly um, what you think are the key takeaways for, for others who want to explore bringing teaching and research closer together. It seems to me, the more we do this, is that students don't really switch on unless they see how they're going to benefit from these things once they leave university. So more and more lately, it's like they only switch off. You, you mentioned in something about, you know, once you leave university in your next, you know, in, the, in your next job or you know, whatever you end up doing, this will be very useful to you. So I think it's, it's a bit tricky, but I think it's trying to make sure that they see the point of learning those things that they're learning in the classroom. That is all evidence-based. So, you know, I'm not just saying that because I'm saying that it's, it's based on this research that might be your own and not everybody can do research on their own or have the, the possibility of, you know, get funding to do research. But as I said, it's not just what you do in your own research, it's what you being aware of everything else that is happening in your discipline. So not necessarily you doing the research, but being able to bring that into the classroom, but in a way in which they can see if I learn these skills, or if I'm aware of these things, that will be very useful to me in terms of employability. I think it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but I think it's, it, that's going to be the trick, just making sure that they see the point of, of doing those things or doing that particular assignment because they can see, I imagine this is very similar to what they might be asking me to do once I start working in this consultancy firm or in this organization or this NGO might be interested in doing this kind of report. So it's good for me to get my teeth into that kind of thing. So these sort of assignments that are really really apply real world experiences that they're going to learn from, I think that's probably where I will focus on making sure that those three things, the teaching, the learning and the assessment, all link to this ultimate thing that they have to do once they leave us and, and try and encourage this sort of lifelong learning. But that's what we do. We have to keep on reading and learning. That, that's all we do. So I think that's probably, 
And it, it can be very simple starting with just using the seminars to look at particular case studies in different contexts, things like that, and just rearrange your assignments brief to make them more applied. I think that's that's sort of relatively uh, straightforward way of advancing things. Thanks, Maria. Rachel, any last thoughts? Well, I could start by being a bit provocative, um, which is that I think you need to you know, basically never ask students to do work that's solely doing your research for you. They need to really benefit from the project too. They really won't be happy with anything that's facts of exploitation. So there has to be a mutual benefit. And, and I think it's worth trying to make that mutual benefit explicit, um, you know, to say that this is something that links with my research and this is what I think I'll get from it. And this is how I think it will benefit you as learners and how, what your engagement can be. So I think that's the big, um, my, my big message. I remember I was asked to do some research in my masters as a student, and we knew it was for the uh, professor and it was just his work. We weren't interested in it and we didn't think we benefited from it at all. It was, you know, so I think that's one uh, risk. I think very practically for me anyway, the projects which, produce valuable research have a lot of continuity so you have they don't necessarily fit within the time frame of um, a student project so you become the continuity so you need to think about ways perhaps it's designed into the assessment so that idea of disseminating the work that's been produced so far mm -hmm. so that there can be some continuity between modules or between year groups as you're doing pieces of kind of co-research and, you know, my approach and I suppose what I'm kind of quite passionate about, passionate about is that it's I'm engaging in projects which are research and teaching and learning projects that are themselves processes of co-inquiry. Um, and so that for me is is where the most interesting research connected teaching happens. Thank you to both of you for a really interesting conversation we've had this afternoon. I've certainly enjoyed it and learned some things. I think it's really interesting to see the contrast, but also the similarities between our three quite different areas. Maybe architecture somehow in the middle between um, tourism, <laughs> migration studies and mathematics. So it brings the two together. Um, so I hope you've enjoyed um, participating and I hope listeners enjoy listening to us talking about this. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thank yeah, thanks, Catherine. That was great right. fun. Thank you for listening to our conversation today. I hope you found it interesting and informative, perhaps, and perhaps thought-provoking. We'll be back with our final episode in the series for now, very shortly. So.